The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to have you with us for a fresh episode of the Next Big Idea Daily. All this week, we're talking about summer, that magical time when the days are long, the nights are short, and I've been told the living is easy. Well, one thing that definitely makes the living easier is ice, that wonderfully cool, solid form of water that keeps my beers cold and my food fresh. Ice occurs naturally, of course, but having ice in the summer is a miracle of modern technology, one that has a lot to tell us about science, business, and culture. Here to clue us in on that story is Amy Brady, a science writer who's written a new book called Ice, From Mixed Drinks to Skating Rinks, A Cool History of a Hot Commodity. Here she is to share five of her surprising insights. Hi, I'm Amy Brady. When I started researching the history of the American ice industry, I didn't know how closely it would mirror the history of America itself. Steeped in myth, given shape by acts of defiance, powered by commercial interests, and driven by bold people with visions that would change the world. Throughout the history of ice in America, the people who dared to dream big, take risks, and challenge conventional thinking emerge as revolutionary forces who changed forever how Americans think of and use ice. Here are insights from my book on how such innovation was made possible. Never, ever give up. The American ice industry began in 1806 when a visionary Bostonian named Frederick Tudor landed on the idea to carve blocks of ice from his Massachusetts lake and sell them for a profit to people in warm climates. His peers thought he was a madman for even considering the idea. How would he sell something as common and, well, free as lake ice? How would he ship it long distances without it melting? Who would buy it? And why? Tudor refused to listen to the naysayers and figured out how to build a cargo hold on a ship that would keep ice from melting. But the day the ship left dock in Boston, a local paper ran a headline calling his endeavor a joke built on slippery speculation. When his ship arrived at its first stop in the Caribbean, it seemed like his critics were right. No one bought Tudor's ice. It all melted away, and Tudor went back to Boston empty-handed. Over the next nine years, he attempted several more shipments, each one a dismal failure. He had to mortgage the family estate to keep his vision alive, and he even ended up in debtor's prison. Twice. Eventually, though, after building his networks and implementing a marketing plan, he turned a profit. It took much, much longer to do so than he had anticipated. But once the world caught up to his vision, they couldn't get enough of what he was selling. Had he given up after the first, second, or even twelfth failure, Tudor wouldn't have become an extremely wealthy man, and America wouldn't have become the ice-obsessed nation it is today. Your product isn't just a commodity, it's a lifestyle. When Tudor first arrived in the tropics to sell ice, 
He struggled to sell it because the people there had never seen such a thing before, let alone knew what to do with it. It hadn't occurred to Tudor that for people living in the tropics in the early 19th century, ice would have been as fanciful as a unicorn. He learned that he needed to demonstrate in person how his product can make life better and more delicious. He brought ice to every bartender and barista that would see him, showing them how to use ice in their drinks. Until this point, rum was served lukewarm, coffee was served hot even on hot days, and water was served at the temperature of sweat. Tudor's innovation was to change all that. He gave the bartenders ice for free so that they could test whether their clientele would like the icy concoctions. Well, as it turns out, you can't argue with a cold cocktail on the rocks. The icy drinks were a sensation. Bartenders and baristas started advertising them as luxury items to help beat the heat, and Tudor turned his first profit. Over the next several years, he would return many times to the Caribbean before setting his eyes on New Orleans. There, he used the same marketing strategy. His cold cocktails were such a hit that New Orleans became not just an ice city, as Tudor called it, but a cradle of civilized drinking. In just a few years, innovative mixologists in the Crescent City created famous drinks such as the Sazerac and the Gin Fizz. Bartenders serving such drinks became celebrities, and ice became known as white gold. Ice consumption had become a luxury lifestyle, and ice's biggest proponents couldn't get enough of it. Sometimes the world must catch up to your vision. In the 1850s, a doctor named John Gorey drew on physics classes he took in med school to build America's first ice machine. He was thrilled with his invention, and he thought the rest of the world would be too. But that's not the response he received. Instead of cries of gratitude, he heard cries of blasphemy. Newspaper headlines called him a crank. How dare a man create ice? Only God can create ice. Gorey wrote that his invention, quote, had been found in advance of the wants of the country, end quote. But the idea to create ice didn't die with him. A decade later, the Civil War broke out, and the Confederacy was cut off from the northern ice shipments they'd come to depend upon. To replace that ice, they built giant ice plants capable of producing hundreds of tons of ice per day in major cities across the South all of them built on Gorey's original blueprints. Those ice plants made ice more available than ever before. They brought the cost of ice way down, making it more affordable to average Americans. And eventually, the ice machine led the way for other innovations in medicine such as cryotherapy and in sports with the indoor skating rink. Get ahead by helping others. In the summer of 1896, a deadly heat wave struck New York City. Temperatures rose to the 90s and stayed there for over a week. The city's mayor and the state governor did nothing to help. By the time the heat dissipated, 1,300 New Yorkers had died. Many more would have died, too, if not for the swift thinking of a New York City police commissioner who took action when no one else did. He ordered hundreds of pounds of ice to be loaded on dozens of wagons, whatever could be spared, to be delivered to the city's poorest neighborhoods, where people couldn't afford the amount of ice needed to get cool. 
dozens of icemen, and the commissioner himself unloaded the free ice and carried it into tenements, where people cried with relief. In the months that followed, the people saved by the commissioner's ice delivery became ardent supporters of his political ambitions. That commissioner was Theodore Roosevelt, and in just five years, he would be president of the United States. So, who'd have thought Teddy Roosevelt may have become president thanks to his timely use of ice? But quickly cooling people down during a heat wave was a popular move and one that may become increasingly important because one thing you may have noticed about summers is that on average, they're getting warmer. Tomorrow, the technology writer David Pogue will join us to talk about what we can do in our personal lives about what seems to be the inevitability of climate change. Come on back to check that out tomorrow. And in the meantime, sign up for my newsletter using the link in the episode notes. Every Friday, you'll get a summary of that week's episodes with links and resources to help make you a little bit smarter, faster. I'm Michael Kovnett. See you tomorrow. <laughs>